Thank you. At the time of this recording, Ed Sheeran's Divide Tour will officially be the biggest, most attended, and highest grossing of all time, breaking U2's record. When all is said and done, he would have spent 893 days on the road compared to 760 days YouTube toured. An absolutely remarkable achievement, and I wanted to dive into some of the lessons that we can learn from this remarkable artist. Welcome to the Making It Happen podcast. I am your host, Iman Abwaji. And yeah, let's get into it. I wanted to talk about Ed Sheeran from a perspective of someone who was actually at the show, someone who experienced the whole thing live and in the flesh. So I've got this segment, I'm calling it Topics with Tony. And he was there, he was at the show. And when he came back and he told me about his experience, I was like, man, I needed to get this on on record i needed to hear more about what what the experience felt like and how he didn't feel like he was missing out on anything even though this guy didn't have a band on stage it was one man a one-man band and it still rocked so i was impressed by hearing that and i wanted to get more into it so without further ado let me dive into it and let's go topics with tony yeah dude so i really just wanted to hear again so we had the conversation before. I just wanted to record it. <laughs> that was the main reason. I was like, we had this really good conversation about the Ed Sheeran show because I didn't know that the dude did a performance without any backup singers, without any other instruments on stage. And I was like, when you told me, I was like, what? So I just wanted to record that. Well, we were when we were at the concert, like beforehand, like waiting um, uh, at the stage, before, like a few hours before the show started because... We were stupid enough to do golden circle, so uh, we were standing for a while. But you know, I, I said to Roseanne, I said, uh, "So, do you think he's going to have the band or whatever?" I said, "Surely he's not bringing a whole band from the UK and so on." And then, like, if you, I hear what you're saying, but his music, like, if you think about his CD, yeah, like you don't hear backing singers. You know, you don't. You, he does his own overdubs or whatever. So he does his own harmonies when there is. You don't really. You know, there might be. Like with Beyonce, he might be doing a duet with somebody or mm, you know, he's got the collaborations album now, so they're featuring people, but he doesn't normally have backing singers. Mm. Um, and his music doesn't really lend itself to that kind of, you know, it's not like it's a, a Whitney Houston, um, you ballad, know, Jennifer Hudson type vibe where you've got your choirs and you've got your whatever. So, yeah. um, And I knew that he did a lot of work with the guitar Um with regards to recording loops and so on. Because mm. um, all of maybe that was live, right? Yeah, yeah all of that was everything live. Everything was live. So um, he did some loops with the, the vocals and he did some uh, loops with the guitar and then played over that. So he kind of built, you know, kind of like a multi, a live multi-track, yeah. if, you, if you would. So, um, yeah, that was very impressive. In fact, the first time I ever saw that was Jars of Clay came to South Africa. Yeah. Um... They were, let's see, I was working in Pretoria. So it's about 2005, 
somewhere around there, 2005, 2006, Jaws of Clay came to South Africa. And the guy opened for them in Pretoria, where we went to, was a guy called Matt Allison, who lives in uh, Australia now. Mm. Um, Singer-songwriter, uh, probably better known and does more work as a producer now. Okay. But he opened and he did this stuff where he had this you know, loop machine with a pedal and that. Mm. Um, so it's 13 years ago and he recorded some stuff with a guitar and then did a loop and maybe three or four tracks looping with his guitar and then did over that. And that was like something new. I'd never seen that before. Mm. So that was the first time I'd seen that. Um, but uh, yeah, I mean, that's what it, what Ed Sheeran did. So, and the energy that, you know, so there's the one aspect where you think, well, like there's no, you know, no backing artist. So, mm. you know, what does he lose? And there's no band and that sort of stuff. And just the energy on stage. But I found myself staring at this guy and looking around at the at the stadium. I mean, I'm not sure on the numbers exactly, but we went to the, you know, the Cape Town Stadium, which the capacity for a rugby stadium is 55,000. Yeah. Um, obviously, you lose certain parts of the seating because it would be behind the stage. But then mm. you gain because there'd be people on the grass, you know, that would be. So I would imagine there's about 50,000 people there. Um, you know and looking around all 50,000 were keen you know it's not like they were falling asleep whatever so that constant energy and there there wasn't really breaks between songs not much there wasn't too much of you know some artists would use the time between songs to kind of uh, gather their thoughts and get their breath back and maybe talk a bit about the story to the song or whatever did he not do that there wasn't much no there wasn't much about that at all oh really for some people they might find oh that's you know they want to know the story behind the song but I think generally the you know, if you listen to the song, you're going to get the story. story. Yeah, true. And a lot of people like, that. you know, um, they want it to mean what it means to you. Mm. You know, not necessarily that. So a lot of you are like true. a lot of my experience is that sometimes you ask a songwriter, you know, what's the meaning of it? It's almost insulting for two reasons. Number one is, yeah, were you too stupid to figure it out? <laughs> um, or secondly, like. Or what does it mean to you? Because yeah. ultimately, that's what it's about. Yeah, true. You, you know, the person writes a song. It's a cathartic process. It means something to them. But um, what is the person listening to get out of it? And as mm. long as they're getting something out of it that's relevant to them, that's all that, that matters in that instance. Very true. So there wasn't much of the, the storytelling between it and that. I mean, I was uh, fortunate enough to see Michael Jackson when he came to South Africa, mm. which was in 97. Um, and it was completely different. Like, each song was like its own production. You know, so it was a very stop-start show because there was so much production in each one, you know. So you would change costume. You'd be, you know, finish each song with a massive big something. I forgot you told um, me you went to Michael. Yeah. It's a flip. It's quite a, yeah. So yeah, every every song was kind of like a production and yeah. there'd be like video and, you know, some sort of dancing intro and all of that. And then he'd make his appearance and people would faint and go crazy <laughs> or whatever. So, you know, very different in that sense. But mm. also didn't explain songs, but each song was kind of like its own production where this mm. wasn't that way at all, you know? It was just like him and his guitar and his jamming and, you know, the energy and it was it was incredible. Like, you wouldn't think that... Uh, I don't know how many songs he did, but um, it was a good hour and a half to two hours um, by himself. And, uh, you know, sure. you think about four-minute song, you know, how many can you fit in there? So, yeah. you know, he did that and he, he covered all his stuff. Um, I thought he would have done more covers, being like a singer-songwriter vibe, you know, you I think... Suppose. Oh, you um, mean the covers that he's written for other people? Or, or just like, you know, like, like uh, Bruno Mars, for instance, you'll often find him doing covers of songs at his... Yeah. And, and it's something different. And, uh, you know, I think generally people 
like that sort of thing when you hear a particular artist singing a song by another one, whether they're putting their spin on it or not. But, mm. it, you know, I don't recall off the top of my head, I don't recall him having done any covers. Mm. So no backing vocals, um, yes, just himself looping, you know, a high energy. Didn't move much because... He couldn't because he's limited by to the by the the, yeah. the loop station pedal. You know, there was one or two songs which he did from um, which one was it? The, the 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 Green and Black album. I can't okay. remember the name. Some yes. mathematical uh, sign, addition, subtract, or whatever. Yeah. No, divide the, divides the one the now. Blue one. The blue one. Yeah. Yeah. So that album, you know, there's like I won't call it. Uh, oh, wasn't it X? Yeah, that's right. It was yeah. X. Yeah, it was X times. That's <laughs> <Sorry>. some sort <laughs> of mathematical sign. Yeah, yeah, but you know, um, you know what I mean. So he, no, no, X is probably the name of it. I'm just relating no, it to No, but I think there are, it was like mathematical, whatever equations yeah, that he's okay. done thus far. Anyway, so and uh, yeah, so that had like some upbeat. I don't know what you would, would call it because it wouldn't, you know, some people might be insulted if you use the word rap to like that kind of stuff that he did. But you, you get what well, I'm he saying. He was rapping. Yeah. I mean, he does. So he did, he did a couple ones from there that were very much like that. And then, you know, the kind of guitar hanging at his back. Mm. And he so he did it. move around the stage. Yeah, a little bit. But like the, when he did the rapping stuff was a little bit where he moved away from his, his loop station. station. Okay. When I say moved away, I'm not talking far. You know, I'm talking maybe 10 meters either mm. side and kind of guitar at the back and did his thing over there. Um, still high energy and he's moving, but... That was the only thing is he wasn't, but that makes it even more incredible that he didn't have to move so much. You know, he still mm. managed to somehow capture the uh, the audience the, the way that he did. So it was a very small production mm. from that side of things. Yeah. Um, but at the same time, it was a massive production. You know, like the screens and all of that was incredible. Yeah, because um, I did The see lighting was exceptional. Sound quality must have also been brilliant. Like yeah, first brilliant. Class. Yeah, yeah. So we were, we were, when I say right in front, we were like, five meters from the balustrades, um, not completely in the middle of the stage because mm. that's where all the crazies were that were like standing forever. And then, because we got, so he came out, I'm trying to think the time that he was scheduled to, I want to say half past eight or something like that was the time that he was scheduled to be on stage. Yeah. Um, and we got let into the stadium, like the actual field part of the stage, like four o'clock. Sure. So you're going to stand for a long time. And then, yeah. there were, then everyone like kind of sardines to the front to the middle where it's like guys if we just give ourselves space, space we can like sit and chill for like two hours before we need to be sardines but so that never happened so then we eventually moved out of that uh, gang mm. and we're maybe 10-15 meters off center right in front of the big screens that they normally have on the side mm. um, so we were you would think we may be a little bit too far in front for the sound might be going over the top a bit mm. uh, but it wasn't the case so this this yeah the sound quality was was exceptional where we were i went on a bit of a walkabout not doing uh, his performance though um or did i no not doing his performance because it was too cramped then but doing so you know some of the opening acts yeah. um kind of like further back uh in the middle still on the field um and got a much better idea of the of the stage yeah but um, there wasn't anything on the stage other than, like there were other people on the stage because mm. um, you know the opening acts also all solos didn't have other people on the stage with them mm. so both of them were like one person which I guess in a sense is makes sense as well because um, you're kind of bringing the same sort of people there mm. you know as far as you're coming to listen to Ed Sheeran so let's not throw in something that's completely different yeah sound wise sure. because you know it's, you're going to a rock concert uh, you're not going to get like uh, Snoop Dogg fans yeah exactly so so, so don't open with with that so 
Um, whilst I won't say they were all of this, like Passenger was with him. I remember you were a yeah. huge fan of Passenger. Did you know about Passenger before the well, show, or this was the first time you were introduced? You to knew a couple of their hits okay. anyway, but um, I never knew that at that stage Passenger was just by himself. Mm. You know, they were a duo or whatever they were before, and then they split up, but for quite a while he had been by himself now. Mm. Um, so you wouldn't have thought being by yourself, your name's Passenger. You think that it would go with what his name is, but I think because he had been this duo before, he just kept that. Mm. So a new couple of their their hits, um, but didn't like I don't know their music extensively, mm. you know. So if there's two singles on the album, I know the two singles. I don't know any of the others, um, but that was exceptional. I think you know the the response and to to his music was incredible, um, and that's why. You know, he's coming back in November. I mean, that was released. That information was released while Ed Sheeran was still in South Africa. You yeah, because I keep, think he keep had the ball a good, rolling with the momentum. Yeah, Ride the, the wave while you can. And then I think Ed Sheeran finished in South Africa, and two days later, his tickets went on sale. Mm. So he's at the Ticket Pro Dome, I think. Um, okay. Big concerts again, I presume. Big concerts again. So yeah. the venue now is where Cape Town Stadium was fifty thousand. Mm. Uh, Ticket Pro Dome, and is it Grand West? Um, unless they're the same and just under different names now, but the, so it's one in Cape Town, one in Joburg. Um, I looked at the capacity; it's like between twelve and seventeen thousand. Okay, you going um, to that one as well? I am. Oh, cool. Yeah, yeah, I am. So that's going to be cool. So he, you know, stylistically they were very similar, which hmm. makes sense because people are coming to hear a certain type of music, hmm. so you give them an opening act that's similar. Um, Wait, and did he also use a loop pedal then? Not really, because he's he's uh, you know Ed Sheeran's music is a lot more upbeat. True. So the stuff that that passenger did is a lot more folky, folky. Um, True, yes. a little bit more you know mellowed, um, but a great sense of humour, uh, very funny with with what he was saying and how he was interacting with the audience. But what was really cool was had some really um, relevant and important things to say in his songs. Mm. Uh, so that you know really good. When I say a good message, like good such a watered down word, um, like very direct. Like what meaningful. Like, yeah, meaningful, kind of like almost having a, a little bit of a go at the status quo um, with regards to his lyrics, like taking a, taking certain things on a bit, um, politics and the world in general society, uh, which was cool. But like I said, really good sense of humor. So you kind of had either side of a serious song, mm-hmm. you know, you, you kind of uh, had this personality and this character, which is really good. Mm-hmm. Um, I know that. So the passenger song, Let Her Go, it's probably their biggest, uh, biggest hit. Um, so he, before he did it, he said, you know, um, if you know me, you probably only know me for our smash hit, uh, Let Her Go. Not to be confused with Disney song, Let It Go. <laughs> oh, that was a good one. And yeah, he said there's a lot of disillusioned eight-year-olds in the crowd right now. <laughs> oh, that's funny. So yeah, you know, it was all round. It was a, a pretty... Uh, mind-blowing experience I was I was an Ed Sheeran fan have always been but I left there being uh, more amazed at his talent and his ability to control a stadium because it's it's one guy and it's a stadium it's not yeah, just one guy in a venue that's why I'm like know? wow what, yeah. that's that's an impressive feat. Yeah. and wait did he also start on time kind of like Michael Jackson like 8 o'clock and Michael's on stage yeah I don't, I don't yeah, I don't remember us waiting and stuff if okay, we yeah, I think the whole evening pretty much ran on ran on time yeah it is it's been a long day for us because I think we started queuing uh, 10 o'clock in the morning mm. um, outside because uh, I was like we spend in, if I'm going to fly, 
all the way. You yeah. know, that's one thing about being in East London. Like we're not, you know, the big guys come, they're not coming to East London, obviously, or anywhere close to East London in general. Yeah. So we're flying to go to Cape Town. Um, or even if you drive now, the price of fuel is still expensive. <laughs> yeah, so you spend a lot of money to get there. You Chances of you seeing this guy again are not great. So it's the one sort of thing I want to make sure I've got uh, decent tickets. Mm. So when we went to the Michael Jackson concert, we had reserved seating, but you're quite far from the stage, mm. you know, so they, you spend your whole concert then kind of looking at the big screen, um, which I didn't want. Yeah, I wanted a different kind of experience. So we went with the Golden Circle, then we spent most of our time watching him and every now and then looking at the screen. So that yeah. was nice. Um, so we went with that and this was a, you know, it was a long day in uh, Kind of you get queued, yeah, then you move through, yeah, but you're still queuing. So like I said, only four o'clock mm. in the afternoon did they sure. lose onto the onto the field. Um, if I did it all over again, I would have still done Golden Circle tickets, but I would have only arrived at the time that they let us onto the field because all the hardcore guys that we were part of kind of went to the whole sardine pack in the middle mm. and then we kind of left them and moved to the side when there was space anywhere. So we could have walked into the stadium and just gone to that same place that, that, we, that we were at. But yeah, incredible. Um, we'd love to see him again. Um, but uh, looking forward to Passenger because it's going to be similar music, except a lot more mellow. Mm. Um, but it's going to be a different vibe, you know. Mm. And what um, was the audience like compliment like for Ed Sheeran's show? Was it like teeny bopper right through to old toppies? Or? Look, I can only comment on where I was. Yeah. You know, so... Um, I can't comment much about the people who were outside of Golden Circle. So I think Golden Circle in general, you it's a very specific type of people. It's going to be the big fans, you know, the people who are willing to pay more for the tickets for that, the people who are willing to maybe stand, you know, that sort of thing. So um, I felt old at times. Uh, you know, I'm not yet 40, but that's scary even when you say it. So, you know, I would say that I was one of the older people where we were. Yeah. Um, uh, but not teeny boppers, I wouldn't say. Um, and so I think the, you know, when we were in the queuing for Golden Circle, there were various ages. You know, okay. you did see people well, who were good. older than me. Um, but the majority of people, I would guess, were probably between 15 and 25. They were in the Golden mm. Circle. But you might find sitting in the reserve seating uh, would be would be different, you know, mm. because... Um, there's no reason why a 50-year-old wouldn't have enjoyed that show, mm. but they wouldn't have necessarily wanted to stand the whole time in the queue and mm. all of that. So they would have just got a reserved a reserved seat and got there. They could have got there 20 minutes before the show mm. and not have watched the opening acts, and that would have worked for them. That was an interesting discussion. I really had fun talking with Tony about that. So just four key takeaway points that I wanted to highlight and i mean maybe even throw in a fifth but the number one thing as well is when creating an album or when creating a song be mindful of how you're going to recreate that on stage i mean so many times you want to throw in so many different sounds and so many different aspects of a song but how is that going to translate once you have to take it on the road and perform it live the second key point is technology it just gets rid of so many excuses, so many things that we as artists and creatives come across like, oh, I want some more bass, I want some more um, vocal to be added, I would like drums, I would love this. It's pretty much him as a one-man band, <laughs> and he's crushing it. Um, and technology has helped him to do that. 
the Chewy 2. That's the loop station pedal that he uses and it is a custom designed loop station. Nobody else has that. And you can believe from a business point of view, it's been a cutting edge advantage that he has utilized. So when he does eventually say, okay, let's put it out as a, as a piece of equipment to be sold, um, he's pretty much reaped a lot of the benefits of it. And you can believe that it's going to sell out fast after he's already broken so many records and it's been tried and tested by one of the masters of the craft. So yeah, it's going to be a hot seller. Look out for that one. The Chewy 2 Monster. Yeah. So that is number two. Number three is songwriting. Having choruses, sing-along choruses that are impeccable. I mean, his ability to to have people sing along to those songs, uh, it's, it's huge. So the second part I would say of that, number four, is the storytelling ability. So in the songs that he creates, it tells you a story and you're free to interpret that story how you like, but at the same time, it, it's, it's a wonderful thing to hear a complete story in a song. So that's also a huge part of what makes his music so translatable, so relatable in a lot of ways. And then just as a fifth one is probably catalog. He has a huge catalog of songs. Well, not huge, but it's a growing catalog of very good songs that he can take on the road. He's not just a one-hit wonder, and he won't be for the foreseeable future. He's got some pretty good songs, and he's growing that catalog. So when he hits the road, he has a lot of options to whip out and a lot of songs that people can sing along to. So I hope you enjoyed this podcast. I'll see you next time. Till then, tell a friend, share it with a friend. Enjoy the message. Thank you very much. This is E-Man from the Making It Happen podcast signing out. Mm-hmm.